Hello, I'm Tom Crawford, once again in a cupboard in a forest in France. I'm Clancy Murphy and I'm in a glass box in Hampshire, England. That sounds nice. Are you in the greenhouse, dear? I'm not in the greenhouse. It does sound like I'm in the greenhouse, Tom, but I'm not actually in the greenhouse. I'm in uh, the offices for the company I work for uh, and they are quite smart offices, actually, and we're lots of glass. Uh, so it, although it has the idea of being a greenhouse, it isn't actually. It's also not much, not very warm if I'm thinking about a greenhouse. I'm absolutely freezing, which is a combination of the really poor weather here in England today and rather excessive air conditioning. However, well, well, I have to confess something, Clancy. I'm actually sitting in my underpants. Lar largely because the cupboard in France is really, really hot. So everybody should be massively grateful that this is a podcast and not a vlog. And uh, there is much more than the artichoke on show today. So I just felt that I needed to be honest and that our relationship could survive that. I think, I think it can, although um, this is the moment to reveal that uh, jointly as co-presenters, we are much more suited to audio than visual. <laughs> yeah, we have the we have the we have we have the radio. we have the menopausal faces for for radio. Let's let's just just between us. So, how in all seriousness, how are you feeling? How's uh, my CP three O been these last few weeks since last we talked? It's fine. It's ages since we spoke, Tom. Uh, this is now episode four of Hysterionics. So I can't mm -hmm. believe we got this far. And you and I last spoke on episode one. So. Uh, I'm fine. I want to ask you how episodes two and three have gone down. So episodes two and three have gone down really well, genuinely, and lots of helpful feedback and reactions and discussions and debates. Episode two with Kate, uh, people were so enthused by her energy and open and honest discussion. And episode three, you know, three amazing people having a robust discussion. And if anybody has got t time, I massively recommend reading Hashi Mohammed's book, People Like Us. I know you've bought it for your reading holiday. And that episode three taught me a lot. I, I went in a, into it with a certain amount of arrogance about thinking I was a really strong ally. I still believe I'm a strong ally, but I now feel that uh, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, I'm an ally that has a lot more to learn and I feel the weight and burden of responsibility for my whiteness and doing something constructive and being part of the discussion so yeah that was a very thought-provoking episode I know we started out with hysterionics to really make people think and to make people think in a very different way and we do that in our own irreverent brand style uh, but episode three was uh it followed the theme of making people think, but it, it was done in a very different way. And I'm like you. Uh, I went into that episode thinking, well, you know, I do a lot of this at work. A lot of part of my job is around ensuring that as an organization, we are representatively diverse, that we create an environment where people feel they belong and they're included. And, and therefore, this is going to be interesting. But frankly, I already know quite a lot about this. Wow, that wasn't the case. Um, yeah. The perspectives those three guests provided. Were, were really different and very, very thought-provoking. I took a lot from it. Yeah. And I suppose, generally, I'm feeling a bit sad at the minute in some ways. I'm feeling sad because I'm talking to a lot of people who are reaching out to me or uh, in my network because uh, they're feeling the weight of what's happening in the outside world. They're feeling uh, stress and pressure managing in a 
uh, in crikey, unprecedented times that by all accounts seem to be never ending. And a lot of people, Clancy, I know, are losing their jobs or are facilitating the loss of jobs for, for other people. And it's, it's really tough keeping up the resilience. And I think that you and I should have a session with a mutual friend of ours uh, in the not too distant future on the podcast, Bill Laurie from Ascend, talking yeah, about wonderful Bill, talking about resilience and how we build it and create it. But what was the original question? I asked you how you are. I think you're absolutely right. So uh, I asked you how you were and I reflected that we hadn't spoken since episode one. Now, when we spoke for episode one, we were talking about, well, this COVID thing's come along. This is very difficult. Our lives are very different, uh, challenging. They've changed. And actually at that point, I was working 100% from home in my little office in my house in Hampshire with my black curly dog. Uh, since episode one, I've started to come back into the physical office as, and, and I've been working with all my colleagues to make that happen too. Um, and I, if I thought back at episode one, where we would be now in the middle of July, I would have thought we'd be in a different place. And I'm with you. This is still very scary. And a lot of my colleagues and contacts and friends are now finding themselves in a very difficult, different position with their jobs. Uh, and that's really challenging their, their personal stability. And that's, that's worrying and it's sad. It is. Um, so my personal resilience, I'm doing much more bicycling. Um, okay. Not I've in thought, your underpants, Tom. Not, not in my underpants. I need <laughs> several layers of underpants because I've discovered, having not been on a bike in 20-something years, how sore the saddle is. It's completely a godsend that I'm not afflicted by the uh, the chalfonts because that, that, that saddle is very sore. So lots of layers of underpants. But nobody ever... So I'm trying to lose two kilos. I'm doing lots of cycling, which is good for the mental health. Um... But nobody told me that when you do lots of cardio, cardio, your appetite goes up enormously. So it's it's like swings and roundabouts. It's like, you know, what's the point? Sit in my underpants on the sofa and just eat the food. Anyway. I have long been an advocate of lying on the sofa for losing weight. It's, if, you, if you don't move, you don't get hungry. Uh, and, I, and I've told that it doesn't count as calorie intake. So if you lie on the sofa and drink wine, you are guaranteed pretty much to lose weight. I, I think that's the way forward. It's a new diet new podcast coming up um in all seriousness back to today though and it goes to something that you've just talked about about being back in the office i have said and promised that you and i would talk about culture um uh, which in itself is not a one-off conversation and i've also said that this podcast will respond to events as they happen you know for the sake of relevancy and hopefully being more useful than a tube of veet to an ewok um that's my, other, that's my other Star Wars reference. Um, but then, you know, the, the proverbial penny dropped with me this week. Uh, and organizations like yours are currently challenged by something which goes to the heart of culture. And that is, for want of a better description, agile working. And lots of, more than a few organizations have bravely come to me and said, how do we do it? Help us do it. What are the steps we need to take? And my instant reaction is, let's, let's forget Agile working, park it. It's Emperor's New Clothes. Why? Because if Agile working is done right and successfully, it says to me, you've got a healthy and high-performing culture underpinning it. So for me, Agile working is merely an 
overlay on your culture and not to be seen as a policy, a piece of tech, or even a place. It's a mindset. So today I want to talk about culture, but through the window of agile working because it's it's so relevant and so topical. What do you think of that? I would. I think a, a conversation around agile working and all the things that come with it, which sort of, as you're talking, Tom, what's bringing to mind is definitely there's this link to culture. There's also for me working in an organisation at the moment. Uh, something which talks to how our managers are managing people, how we look at performance and performance versus productivity. And actually, it, what, is, what do we really mean by agile working? Because to me, agile working talks about inputs. And I am increasingly schooled and, being, and schooling others in, let's focus on what happens as a result, so the outcome. So a conversation around agile working, where that takes us, I'll look forward to that. That would be great. Right, agile working. I have been Googling lots, and my concern is that we get obsessed with terminology and management consultant wanky talk, and uh, we don't get to the nub of what the issue really is. And there are foundations around agile working, there are presentations and conferences and all sorts of things, and I kind of want to break that down. When you think about agile working, what do you actually mean? So, so let me tell you what it's not for me, based on what I've seen and where it's gone wrong. It's not working from home. It could be an element of working from home, but it's, it's not just that. It's not just remote working. It's an attitude, it's a mindset. It's uh, it's an ecosystem of how we behave and how we support each other here in the workplace. So agile for me is I don't necessarily work prescriptive hours. I, through discussion with my colleagues and understanding how together we each play a part in delivering the objectives to the consumer, to the client, to the brand, we can individually work in a way that achieves that and respects each other. It, respects that not everybody has their best thoughts uh, switched on and switched off between nine and five. It respects that people can be going for a walk with their dog and have a thought and note it on their iPhone and it, that thought has huge impacts. Uh, that for me is agile working. Where it's gone hideously wrong is that people have uh, attached too much relevance to a place, usually home, um, a piece of kit. Uh, we in, allow you this dial-in mechanism in order to deliver what you need to do. And uh, they've not thought about the mindset. Uh, that's, that's the start of a 10. But before I go on, what do you think? So I think agile working is one of those buzzwords, isn't it? Um, yeah, and, there's and lots of management consultancy wanky talk about it. Yeah. Um, so so uh, when, I, when, you, when you said, look, I, I think this podcast really uh, is going to be about agile working, that, that's something that's very relevant in the moment. You're absolutely right. It, it is really relevant. As someone who you know, works in an organization where not a, a large number, but around about 25% of our workforce are based in an office, and that office environment has changed fundamentally over the last few months because we've sent people home but this idea of agile working i mean it came up right at the very beginning a couple of very senior colleagues said oh this is what we now need is a bit of agile working 
And that, that sort of talks to what you were saying there, which is we've attached this term to a place or a space or a location or a time. Uh, but actually agile working could mean new ways of working or smart working or better ways of working or flexi working. So it talks a bit to choice, I think, but it talks a bit to flexibility. But actually it makes me giggle and people talk about flexi working, so agile working, because um, I, I, had a, I, I came across a phrase once and I think it's when I was back in the Deloitte days, because agile working sort of came up in the 90s. It's been around about 20 oh, yeah. years. Yeah, it's been around a while. The phrase was, it's sort of, uh, it's like the martini phrase, anytime, any place, anywhere. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, if we go any further, we're going to be throwing glasses of Cinzano over Joan Collins in an airplane seat, but that's a very age-related <laughs> reference. <laughs> well, so think, think that. Think martini, anytime, any place, anywhere. Yeah. And, and when my colleagues talk to me about flexible, uh, agile working, they're talking about that, and that isn't what it's about. But unfortunately, over the last 20-odd years, that is what the connotation for agile working has become. It has. And, 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 it, and that's not right, is it? That, that's not where we want to Well, it's, it's right in some ways. It's right in some ways. But if you, know, if you want us to be the martini boys and girls anytime, anyplace, anywhere, um, you know, that comes with other things like empowerment and trust and uh, dialogue. And it comes with a coaching leadership style uh, based on inputs and outputs. It requires a solid cultural foundation from which to build. And so I don't necessarily disagree with, disagree with any time, any place, anywhere. But my fear is at the minute that agile working is a distressed purchase because yep. uh, we haven't got any choice. <laughs> We haven't got any choice because there's a large swathe of colleagues that don't want to come into the office. There's a large swathe of colleagues for whom the psychological contract has shifted and they don't want to be full-time employees. And there's regulations at a local and corporate level. So I, I think my fear is that too many people go into it as a distress, oh shit, purchase rather than, do you know what, this could be really exciting and let's go wild and let's do something really different with it. But it's great. So a distress purchase, let, let's hip onto that for a moment. One of the reasons that uh, we have been so successful as, as a culture, I'm talking about a, a national culture, of people working from home is because there was one unifying reason, a common, common enemy, which was this virus. And when you have that really strong, unifying, common purpose, people do what needs to be done. Yeah. And so that, that got people home and it got them working effectively because this wasn't about the organization. This wasn't about the bottom line, the productivity, the efficiency, the, the churn. This is about keeping everybody safe. It was very, very personal. So unwittingly what's happened is the conversation has moved to when we all had that deeply personal and common purpose, we did what needs to be done. Um, so there's, there's something about, you know, people have put this, oh, we all just worked agile and it was fine. Yeah, but why did you do that? We did that because of purpose. Um, yeah, but that's sad. That's sad. <laughs> I'm not referring to your organization. I'm sad that it's taken something like COVID to give organizations a sense of purpose and unify and rally people. And, and, I am sad, Tom, but also yeah. I'm really pleased because, uh, you know, having worked with me for a very long time, the best platforms for change are burning platforms, and burning yep. platforms are never, ever nice. If you've got a burning platform, you've got a problem. Um, and in all the years that I've worked in organisations, 
branding platforms never create a positive outcome for the individuals involved. However, what they do do is give you a platform for creating change. And what the COVID pandemic has done, I think, for um, a lot of organizations is shown them the power of purpose. And yep. it was a horrible purpose. True. It was a horrible unifying mission, but it showed them the power of it. That's um, really true. And, and I think, so you're right, and we're being slightly flippant, and this pandemic is hideous, and it's hideous in so many ways. But what it has helped do is give impetus to this, this argument, this school of thought, which is if you've got a really unifying and personal purpose that all your employees in the organizational context can sign up to, you will get change and you'll get done what needs to be done. And I think this is what the pandemic has done. So, so summary of that, great, as you say, that it's woken organizations up to that and it's not going away, but you very quickly need to build on that sensation and replace COVID with a client, consumer, brand, market share, enhancing purpose and, and use yeah. the same behaviors and attitudes to, to get behind that. No, I, I totally so, agree. But we also need to come back to this idea of culture, Tom, because purpose and culture are intrinsically linked. Now, a bit like you, I'm a big fan of Auntie Google. I'm also a massive fan of podcasts, which is quite helpful thing as we do our own podcast. <laughs> and um, there's been a couple I've, I've listened to recently, and there's, there's a guy I've got a little bit obsessed with, so I hope he's not listening because I'm... That sounds very be dodgy. That sounds vaguely stalkerish. Uh, does this... Are you it's, currently recording from outside his house in the bushes? <laughs> no, he lives in California and there aren't any long-haul flights. Because <laughs> you've looked, you've researched, have, you've, you've been on Expedia, you're that obsessed with him. He's the chief executive of a company called Industrial Logic, and I'm sure you've heard of him. His name is Joshua mm. Kowalski. And he uh, came up with the, the term about four or five years ago of modern agile. So he got a little bit fed up with the whole agile working um, moniker uh, because he said that agile working was about new ways of working, doing things differently. And I, he went to conference after conference where they talked about yeah, agile working, but no one was being innovative. They were just crossing out what happened before. So he uh, unwittingly coined the phrase modern agile, uh, which um, is a principle driven approach to creating purpose and and helping people do the right thing at work have you come across him no but i i, I will co-stalk him after this I definitely do and I, I think i think he's going to work for one of us um but he talked about uh, agility being uh, a principle driven approach with a sort of no frameworks no it's got to be this this and this yep. he talked about four things and and these things to me talk so closely to the heart of what you and i work on as, as culture so he said look if you're going to think about some sort of modern agile approach to work think about four things he said think about making your people awesome what is the environment that needs to be in place that the people who work there are completely awesome uh how, how do you do that what do you need to do what what needs to happen and he's not going to tell you he's just saying that have that as a principle then he said you need to make safety a prerequisite and now he works in silicon valley so his safety is often around psychological safety and you touched yeah. on people feeling safe, feeling they can speak up. But actually in my world, and you, I work for an in an environment where uh, we manufacture with high explosives. So there's a physical safety and quite a significant one. Um, but he said, if you make safety prerequisite, if you say safety above everything else, whether it's psychological safety, financial safety, consumer safety, or physical safety, people will behave in the right way, but you have to make it at the heart of what you do. So he said, look, make your people awesome, give them an environment where they can be awesome. Free the shackles, which is a bit of psychological safety but also make safety a prerequisite. And then he said, 
focus everyone on delivering value continuously. So this talks a little bit to continuous improvement, a little bit in my environment to Lean and Six Sigma, but deliver value continuously. Whether you're an internal provider or an external provider, it's about delivering the value. And the third one was experiment and learn rapidly. So what you and I might call fail fast. Yep. Give it a whirl, but fail fast. Okay, so if you can put those four principles across your organization, you will fundamentally change the performance. But the other thing that will happen is that you'll empower your workers. And we know that if workers are empowered, they will act in a more agile way. So what are your thoughts on that? I don't disagree with any of it. I, I think that the, it's a Trojan horse uh, for what actually needs to happen. Make your people feel awesome is a wonderful, wonderful aspiration. I love the words, but it takes a lot of work. And obviously he created those four principles before we ended up in COVID. And I think yeah. make people feel awesome. One of the vital aspects of agile working in today is you need to drastically overhaul your well-being agenda and policy and uh, linked to that and making people feel awesome is equipping leaders to take an individualized check-in with each of their team to understand how they're feeling in in this world because if I'm 24 and sitting in a house share around a table and I think Neil said it a couple of episodes ago uh, uh, you know around a table agile working in inverted commas I'm going to hate it if you're 48 year old Tom uh, cycling and dog walking and thinking and having ideas whilst you do those things you're going to love it um, so making your people feel awesome is so dependent on strong leadership at the moment and i love his idea around agile thinking you know so i usually go to rita bob and sue for my brainstorming but actually let's forget rita bob and sue at the minute and uh i'll go and ask three other people uh and involve them because they've got three different learning styles and three different communication styles so i think make your people feel awesome and innovate goes to uh, inclusion. Uh, so I, I, I agree with what he says, but it's, it's a Trojan horse that needs unpicking. I think it is a Trojan horse. So um, you know what I'm like. I can never just take someone's idea and, and buy it as my own. I have to uh, make it into Clancy ease and, and make it work for me. So I've, I've sort of, I've taken a lot of what, I mean, I summarized massively for Joshua has spent a lifetime researching this and, and, and pony, uh, proposing bit and bit to bit. And I've, listen to probably 10 hours of podcasts and really book. So, um, you know, excuse me, uh, I, I don't know as much about it as he does. But, but you really are stalking him, aren't you? I am a bit of a stalker, Tom. I, I come, become, you know this, I become slightly obsessed, but at least this time it's not gin or chocolate. <laughs> so what I've done is I've taken what he's talked about and said, okay, right, I get it. So I get these four areas. I, I get this idea of it's principle driven. It's about making people awesome. But I, that took me back to this idea of purpose, because purpose is a cornerstone of performance. And we talked about coronavirus in a horrible way, creating a common enemy yeah. or a common purpose. And purpose is the cornerstone of performance. Uh, you want to make your people awesome. Um, and so you know, how, do we, how do we make our people awesome? You talked about your know, managers have to act in a different way. And, and, and typically, and, and we found this at the organization I work in at the moment, um, our managers uh, take, you know, this is the organizational purpose. 
and then it gets distilled and distilled and distilled and becomes really ambiguous. And by the time it reaches every person in the organization, it actually has become some sort of set of transactional goals. You do yeah. these five things and we'll hit the purpose. It's, that, that's a sort of familiar thing that happens. It doesn't start that way, but it, this sort of ends that way. And then it becomes incumbent on the managers to make sure that all the people in the organization are doing the things transactionally, which make the goals happen. And then we call that performance management. And suddenly we've moved massively far away from this idea of making people awesome, empowering people to, if you can do these five things in the way I've told you to, then we're all fine and we've hit purpose. And it's that disconnect, I think. Um, and what the pandemic, I think, has taught us is that gold can't be rigid or time bound because everything shifted so quickly. Um, but the more effective goal setting it has to be sort of ongoing and sort of in the flow of the work and, and real time. Um, and that obviously causes some challenges for, for managers who've not been taught to do it that way. So one of the things we've done here, um, and actually we were doing it pre-pandemic, is we've been schooling our managers to have performance conversations every four or six weeks with all of their team. And, and we've done that because we've said, we've got this issue, there's a corporate purpose, but by the time it reaches everyone, it becomes a set of transactional, do these five things. If you have an ongoing conversation with your team, you can keep reinforcing and reiterating, but also refining what we think the purpose is, both organizationally, but also team purpose. And then you can have a fluid conversation with each person in that team as to what they are doing towards achieving that. And that in some way moves you away from do these five things and we've got them. Yeah, Agile, Agile, has, Agile has to touch uh, every aspect of the employee life cycle. It is a whole new different way of thinking. As you say, I'm not going to, setting setting objectives in January and having a conversation in December to see whether the objectives have been met is not agile thinking, you know, and, and the market is shifting. Agile is responding to the market. Agile is responding to the daily situation we find ourselves in. Agile is being able to coach people in a fluid situation. Uh, I mean, it's literally taking the definition of the word agile and applying it to everything that we do in order to make organizations successful. And, and I think what we found also through COVID is that no processes or, or policies or structures have been enough to create the performance and the productivity and the engagement that we need in this new world. It, it's not about the policies and the processes. They are not going to do it for us anymore. They're, they're important in creating the outline framework, but them in themselves won't, won't create what needs to happen. So let me, let me talk about Agile in a non-COVID sense. So. Sure. Having worked with clients on culture change, I have seen Agile go wrong when it's been more working from home. Um, it's been seen as a shiny new toy. It's been seen as something we can submit an award entry for. And we've got this beautiful brochure. We've got this beautiful internet site. Uh, and it's all gone horribly wrong. And why has it all gone horribly wrong? It's gone horribly wrong because... You ex the organization wanted to change culture via policy. And the overlay of agile working onto their existing culture was wrong. And here we can't separate culture and leadership. Okay. So they did not have a culture where people led by uh, open dialogue. They did not have a culture that was built around trust. 
they did not, people managed, they didn't lead. I know that's a hackneyed cliche, but what does that mean? Presenteeism in the office. They, they, I can see Fred in the office. I'm happy with Fred. Fred played up to that because so then Fred, Fred stayed later in the office, but nobody knew what Fred was actually producing. Uh, there wasn't a culture of having respect for the uh, person. It was we have employees, employees deliver this. People were managing via job description rather than actually how do I get the best out of Clancy? How do I get the best out of Tom? There wasn't a setting of expectations. You know, that deal, that sense of pact. That's the big shift, isn't it? Because what you're talking about there is, when we've talked about leadership, even briefly, we've really uh, been talking about people who manage and what we want is people who lead. And leaders are actually enablers. They're the people that enable stuff to happen. They don't tell someone how to do it or what to do. They enable that person to do it. And uh, one of the things I've become increasingly passionate about over the last 12 months because of some of the changes we've done here at work is that leader is having three roles that they need to advocate for what the business needs to happen and they need yep. to advocate that requirement to their teams yep. and they need to mediate with their teams and with the individuals in their teams as to how that's going to happen and how it's going to be done but then they also need to clearly for the team they need to be the team voice and do you know what being a leader and having to do those three things advocate for the business mediate with your team and the individuals and then be the cheerleader and the spokesperson for that team back upwards that's a really challenging skill set, Tom. It is. And the thing that most leaders don't have enough of is the ability to facilitate conversation. And the minute the conversation becomes difficult or challenging, it definitely doesn't happen. And so I have seen agile working create completely spoiled brats amongst employees because uh, the organization has championed, you know, we let you do this, we let you do that, we're a wonderful employer, fill out the form, we could be on the Sunday newspaper, best place to have a Starbucks in reception, best yeah. place to work, survey best thing. And you get, exactly, and you get employees saying, oh, well, I know I, I, um, I work for a global engineering firm, but actually because of agile working, I only want to do projects which are in a three mile radius of Guildford town center because that suits me in an agile way. Uh, and that's not an exaggeration. That's a real example. And, and what do you mean? I can't have a, uh, you know, an opportunity to work half an hour a day uh, <laughs> at the time of my choosing whilst I'm cycling on the electric bike that the company bought for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we, we, have, we all have examples of those. So what, what are we concluding here? Are we concluding that actually sort your culture out or you need the right culture intertwined with the right levels of leadership? You can't separate those two things in order to have a more agile way of working before you get obsessed with the product itself. I think, I think we're talking about those things. I think that the conclusion for me from this conversation is... If you want agile working, you can't do it to your population. You need to get your population involved in it. And uh, that means that employees need to appropriately take ownership for being agile, but within a framework which says, because this is what we mean. If we still need to produce stuff, if we still have a purpose here, and this is our purpose and we all understand it, we're going to empower you to do that, but you need to lead the conversation with your leaders on how that's going to happen and be prepared to be challenged. This isn't a free-for-all. We're not spoiled children. This isn't the princeling concept. This is an idea of you know, the business needs this to happen. This is why we're all here to make it happen. 
it, we get to, we get to, we get to talk about how best to make that work in the in the environment we're now in. And by the way, we want that environment to make you feel empowered. Uh, it doesn't need to be locked to your desk ten hours a day in this location with this piece of equipment, but you know, it has to be uh, within the context that you know, is reasonable to deliver what needs to be delivered. Um, and you empower people by having that real goal clarity um, and you know the, the right resources to to get it and the support and the guidance to make things happen. But, but what you don't need to do with agile working is say, do whatever you like, it's fine. That's not how it works. The anytime, anyplace, anywhere, that's not quite the right description. But actually, if we can create a principal framework for people to work within, which is, which is uh, what my stalking victim, Joshua Kowitzki, has been talking about, then actually we have a better opportunity to work in a way which we previously wanted to call agile, but probably need to find a different moniker for. So I think... Agile working should finally kill off parent-child cultures. Yes. Uh, it should kill off the traditional performance management cycle, which was basically just yet another corporate B-Day. Uh, it uh, was largely delivered badly, and people spent more money on the system of the IT system than the underlying behaviors that required. Uh, and the other thing, and this is slightly left field, I think agile working should kill off the one size fits all company benefits. I think thrown into this is talent leasing. I want to lease myself to you uh, for a period of time because we've got aligned values and mission and I've got the experience to help you with that. Uh, we will, you will manage each other by service level agreement uh, in terms of what I deliver, but I don't want to sign up to being a company person and I do not want your bland one-size-fits-all benefits. I don't want your pension. I don't want to go to the gym that is in your benefits book because it's a crap gym chain and I'd rather go to my own. I don't want your car allowance or your company car because I'd rather have something else and that money would rather benefit me in a different way so i think it's got the opportunity to touch lots of things but i do think it's going to raise other questions as well so i think it will beg us to ask how do we network how do we create that sense of belonging creating the sense of purpose that you rightly describe and are passionate about also requires a sense of belonging and if I'm a graduate and I'm ambitious and I've joined your program, how the heck do I make myself visible? How do, how do, I, how do I connect with the senior leaders and, and have that uh, random but not so random quick conversation by the photocopier? So I think really what I'm hearing from that summary, Tom, um, is you really effectively move this concept of agile working from one job in one company to the whole context of how we create a talent opportunity within the talent marketplace and how agile can we be with that talent because as you say no one wants but there is an increasing appetite for uh me to be able to deploy my talent in the way in the areas it's required without being intrinsically uh bound to one organization i think that's a great that's that's a great conversation for the next yeah, non-geospecific roles. There you go. So. On that bombshell. <laughs> I'm going to get on my bike, literally and figuratively. Put some trousers on first. Oh, yes, yeah, so I should put clothes on before I leave the office. 
Yeah, and I'm going, to, I'm going to take off my duvet, which I've been wrapping around myself because it's getting colder and colder in here, and go and walk outside where I'm sure it's got to be at least three or four degrees warmer. <laughs> we will be back in a couple of weeks. I will be sharing with you via LinkedIn uh, what Neil Clancy and I are going to be talking about. It requires me to finish a very important piece of writing. Neil and Clancy are going to be interviewing me. Uh, in the meantime, please join in the conversation via LinkedIn or at Hysterionics or on Twitter. And please send in your questions and ideas. In the meantime, please be safe. Thank you. Stay safe. Goodbye.